All right, I'm here with Henrik Lund Nelson, the founder of Cobot. So I guess we should start with, how did the company begin? We actually began as another company called 3D Printus, which in English would be the, the house of 3D printing. And we did um, a three year research into the state of the art of construction printing. So we got a grant from the, from the Danish government to, uh, to tour around the, the whole world. And we were the 3D printing experts. So I have guys that have uh, been into 3D printing for 20 years. Um, and the government here was being afraid that uh, we were not picking up on construction printing enough in this country. So they gave us and the biggest construction company in the country called NCC, a grant to tour around the whole world, find the best uh, uh, technology out there and take it back and present it to the Danish construction sector. Mm -hmm. So we visited 38 different companies and projects and universities and I personally visited 35 of them. Um, so and we held two international conferences or well, they turned out to be international conferences. They were supposed to be for the Danish construction sector but quite uh, quickly, the, uh, the, the, the rumor had spread that if you wanted to know about what was going on in this industry, you go see these Danish, strange Danish guys that are investigating it. So at the second conference, we actually had 55% were internationals that, that came. And what we did pick up on there was that, yeah, first of all, a lot of what had been published uh, in the media was all nonsense, wrong, yeah. overstated marketing you know, grossly overstating what the present stage of the technology was in and what it could achieve. So this is generally what we recommend people disregard 95 to 98% of everything you're reading because it's simply not true. So, so that was quite disappointing. The other disappointing thing was that we were not really impressed by the technology that we saw. Uh, we were actually quite disappointed. On the other hand, very positive that uh, if we applied, you know, our thinking to it, real 3D printing expertise to it, hey, then there would be a lot, a lot, a lot of potential. So we said, why don't we start demonstrating this by, um, by making the, um, the first 3D printed building in Europe? Because nobody has had taken upon themselves to do the first 3D printed building in Europe. And of course, it had to be permitted and everything. So we did that. And that created quite a uh, quite a, an interest uh, globally. Also, because we did it typically for us, you know, we invited uh, 150 guests. Uh, we uh, uh, provided champagne, and now we will start the 3D printing of your first uh, 3D printed building, live cameras and everything. So not not any of these uh, you know trick videos that uh, is a lot out there. Mm -hmm. uh, and because of that, let's say honesty and. Uh, uh, transparency that we provided that created a lot, a lot of interest from all over the world. And then following that, uh, we even had uh, then investors coming to us and saying, well, what you guys have been doing is great. You know, you invented a printer in six months, you started printing, uh, you know, on a permitted building uh, already uh, so fast and, and so on. So when the building was completed, we got several investors knocking on our door. And that's when, the, when we decided to say, okay, now we need to separate this out in a separate company. And we called the building, um, uh, the, the first building, 3D printed building in Europe, we called it the BOT, standing for building on demand. 
and now we decided to to spin off a, a separate company just focused on 3d construction printing and so it was quite uh, easy to then say okay if the if this is the building building on demand then let's do construction building on demand so yeah. cobot or company doing buildings on demand uh, uh, which again would be abbreviated to to cobot and so we did that uh, starting uh, uh, in uh, in 18 and then uh, quite quickly we came in contact with perry and then uh, perry become a, an anchor investor in the in the company and the rest is history i'm really interested in especially the first part when you uh went to a bunch of different projects around the world that's kind of what i'm doing now mm -hmm. uh, and but, so uh, Jerry, to be honest we were not quite as naive as you are so you know maybe because we had no but we also were lucky because we had different skill sets available in that team right so we had me for instance as a senior business executive mm -hmm. very critical to the economics and the numbers and the data then you had engineering people like most of my guys very much into you know the engineering details of the printers that we were looking at and then we had construction experts from NCC, very critical about, let's say, the construction engineering the, that was being applied, et cetera. So we had a lot of different, uh, and we also had a materials expert, by the way. And we, so we had four different expertise at place here. And of course, when you're only one, one man band, it's, it's very difficult to master all of these. I, I, I don't even think impossible. It's, it's impossible. You know, nobody can have all that uh, knowledge up uh, and science up in your mind, right? Uh, so, so you can say we, we were way more critical in the way we investigated things, et cetera, than, than you can do. And, and I also understand from a commercial point of view, you can't be very critical to people that you want to interview for a long time. Uh, that sort of makes you quite sad to speak to and you do want people to speak to you. So obviously you emphasize all the good things that you see yes. and are maybe less critical on the negative side. Very true, very true. And I also look at some of the initial marketing that was done, like when they put out the $10,000 house, uh, obviously that was like the big one. Um, that disappointed a lot of people. Oh, you mean? Um, there were different Icon, companies. Winsun claimed that they had a $10,000 house. Yeah, and then APS call follow up with the Russian house, and then Icon had to do it better, so they said $4,000. None of it was true though, none. It was completely nonsense. Uh, APIS Core invited us over because, uh, you know, in our company we have 50% uh, are Danish and we're very proud of our Danish heritage, but then we hire the best talent we can find. So we don't really care where people are from and with the consequence that 50% of our employees, which is now approaching 40, are actually internationals. And one of the internationals we had was a Russian. Mm -hmm. So APIS Core in October of 16 held an event, Russian speaking only, in Sputnik just outside of Moscow, uh, they called up Jordi, uh, our Russian, and said, uh, listen, uh, this was in October, don't you, Henry, can you come and visit us? Because we're doing a, a live three-day event where we will print an entire house. Mm -hmm. And that was, of course, super interesting. So Jordi came to me and said, uh, do you want to go to Moscow uh, uh, three days uh, to a Russian-speaking event only? I said, Georgie, you know, three days only listen to Russian. You know, I don't speak Russian. I speak a lot of languages, but I don't speak Russian. So I'd say, I said to him, you go and then you take me pictures. And on the third day, especially, you take me a picture of how far they've come. And how far have they come on the third day? One, one foot, maybe one and a half foot, if, if you're nice. 
And then in February, they came out with this video saying that they did it in one day for $10,000. Um, what they forgot to say was that was only the material. It wasn't for the entire house. So window, doors, roof, etc., didn't count in that. And what they also sort of were very um, relaxed about was that it actually didn't take them 24 hours. It took them four months to print the building. So they, they did it quite cleverly because they said, we have just done a building. We have invented the technology that, they can, that can do such a building in 24 hours. So obviously everybody yeah. understood that it was done in 24 hours, but if you read really what it said in the press release, it didn't say that. But yeah, I assumed that it meant 24 hours of active printing time where the printer might stop for a day or a few days or a week between prints. And right. so it's spread out over a period. Right. And in theory, it could have been correct, but, but what really happened was uh, it was a stop and go all the time for them, yeah. which is not surprising. When you do something for the first time, it's bloody difficult. Uh, so there was no surprise there. But the consequence was, of course, when it, then uh, ABC News picked it up on the six o'clock news and uh, they had uh, 1 million downloads of the video the next day and they received 5,000 emails uh, the next three days, mainly from Americans, asking them to come and print a building in the backyard for $10,000. And how do you do that uh, when, you, when it's all bullshit what you've been saying, right? So, so Nikita actually told me they didn't answer a single one of these emails. And unfortunately, this, this kind of behavior, lack of response, is also uh, quite characteristic of the, this industry. A lot of the visitors we're getting and a lot of the serious dialogues we have with people that then become customers, because you know we have customers all the time. We're selling printers every month. Uh, they, they are telling us, you're the only guy, you're the only company that ever answered. And you answer so fast and so full and you know there's no bullshit, it's all honest and direct and we get the information we're asking for. A lot of these other companies, they're not even answering their emails. So that gives the whole industry sort of a not nice reputation for overstating, not answering emails, et cetera, et cetera, which is exactly what then we've been trying to do the opposite. It's not great, but it's also the tech industry. Like if you try to email Rivian or one of these other electric cars, tech startups, they're not going to answer you. Um, and I think it kind of comes with the territory and also the marketing. Maybe it comes with being an American company. Because, because $10,000 house that got it out to so many people. Everybody found out about the technology and I bet some of your investors discovered it that way. And then maybe they were dismayed at first or disappointed when they found out a $10,000 house wasn't reality, but then they saw you printing a house and they got interested and they decided to invest. No, this is very correct. This is a, the other side of that coin that, you know, the downside of the coin is that, uh, or the bottom side of the coin is that grossly exaggerated what can be done, build up expectations that could not be, uh, Met afterwards, on the other hand, created a shitload of interest. So that already there in 18, we started talking to the whole world. Uh, and, and we're still doing it, partially because of these overstated uh, features of uh, 3D construction printing. So that caught on to so many people. And, you know, if you think about it uh, right now, you know, we're tracking it. I can't remember how, how many we're up to. I think we're up to number 32 building or something. There are 32 3D printed buildings in the world. But these 32 buildings are the most celebrated buildings ever in history, ever. <laughs> so it's created so much attention. And this is the reason why, also part of the reason why we get customers today because of this. So, so you are right. That, that, is, that That's a good side of the, of the 
PR nonsense that has been out there. Yeah, and it's also a naturally interesting thing. It's so cool. Whenever I talk to people about it, they're always fascinating, huh? initially fascinating. Yeah, that's also why we do these time lapses and so on, because there you really see it, uh, the whole thing being being made and, and, and so on. And it, it, is, it is fascinating and the potential is huge. Uh, and, you know, the more we can master it, the more we, we apply the technology, we, we become better each time, right? Uh, we, I think you know that when we did the first uh, building here, it took, uh, it took two months. And then uh, two years uh, after, that means in 19, we decided, let's try it again. Let's see, you know, what can we do? So we made an exact copy of the first building, only the walls, of course, uh, 3D printing the walls. And the second time it took 28 hours. So we went from two months to 28 hours. Mm -hmm. We've done the same now with windmill towers. You know, we are working with uh, General Electric and I can just do like that. Yeah. Our first tower there uh, for, for General Electric. Um, and we did it uh, in 19 and then they were all, wow, wow, you can print 10 meters tall and it's a hundred ton. It was 100 ton. So, so uh, last year, so at the end of 20, we printed a new tower also 10 meters, this time 175 tons. So 75% more. Mm. The first time we did it, it took three weeks. We were not overly impressed by ourselves. The second time it took three days, but 75% more material. That means an improvement in productivity of 12 times between the first time and the second time. When, when, when it was a house, it was 20 times in one, in two years, this was 12 times in one year. And that, is exactly what you can expect. So, you know, were we doing it again? We would improve again. Obviously not so much the second time, but there will still be improvement because it wasn't perfect also the second time. Even if it only improves five or 10% a year, it's going to overtake uh, the whole industry. Jared, much more, much more. So I would say that if we had to do that again, probably we would be cutting the time into two. So we go from three days to one and a half day, and if we then did it again, we'd probably be down to one day. And if we then did it again, we probably would be down to maybe 20 hours, you know. So you'll get marginal, uh, you'll get the diminishing marginal returns from every time you do it, but you still improve. But initial returns will be very, very big from, from doing it a second time and a third time. One really unique aspect of a Kobod printer from what I've seen is that you don't mandate the material that the printer needs to use. We agnostic, as we say, uh, we, we don't dictate. This is, has to do with another thing that, you know, that, and this is again, my economical background. And I already concluded that during that studies back from 15 to 17, that it doesn't help. We, it, you know, this technology can save on labor. Yes, it can also do free form, et cetera, but all boils down eventually to money. So, you know, this technology in essence can save on labor. Now, if that saving on labor is offset by a higher cost in the materials, you're nowhere. You've not achieved anything. Hence, we have from the start have uh, made it very, very clear that we go for locally available materials because they will be the cheapest. And even the, the first uh, building we printed, I have a section of it here. You can see we were very, very bad at controlling the, the, the smoothness of, of the layers, etc. But when you turn it inside, you can clearly see that this, this yeah, here you're 3D printed, very clear. But when you go in here, it's very clear that it's monolithic. Very few bubbles. Yeah, there's very few bubbles. And this is a real concrete. Huh? This is not a multi. This is a real concrete, up to 10 millimeter particle size. 
the red thing in there is recycled ceiling tiles. Ah. 23% recycled ceiling tiles. So this was an own recipe that we just did and we printed with it. So this is the model that, that we think is correct because then we can get concrete cost at the same cost as if you were conventionally casting concrete, et cetera. What a lot of other competitors are doing, especially the robotic arm guys, they need to have this special, special, very, very fine mortar, which is insane price. So with this kind of concrete, you speak about a, a tonnage price of maybe 40, 50, 60, 70 euros, where you are in the world. Hmm? Because materials cost something different in, 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 in different places in the world. Mm. But when you talk about these uh, mortars, ready-mix, dry-mix mortars, that we've also used in, in, a, in a few of our prints, et cetera, you're into the hundreds of euros per ton. So it's like a factor between five and 10 times more expensive to print with mortar than to print with real concrete. Hence, this is why we focus so much on, on real concrete. And we have a, we are in the, in the process of finalizing an R&D project with one of the, 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 the big cement guys where we can actually um, add a magic to let's say a normal concrete recipe uh, and then we add a magic and it then turns from being a normal to being a 3D printable concrete. And that magic makes up less than 1% of the entire thing. That means 99% can be sourced locally and then we come with the magic and then we can make it 3D printable. Very cool. That would yeah. be a big so thing. that the cost level would be similar to the, the cost of, of normal concrete. Then it makes economic sense. Yeah, I've been waiting for that for a long time. I've told a lot of people that when the material cost comes down, the entire thing is going to become so much more efficient and it's just going to be explosive. Now, without revealing too much, I can say that, uh, you know, we are there. We, you know, we, uh, this solution is coming very soon. That's good to hear. So with, without the magic, it's difficult for regular concrete to be able to support the next layer. Right. Now, yeah, well, it's more, no, it's actually, no, it's more the fact that it's not buildable enough. So that means when you try to put on the next layer, it will splash out at the bottom. Then, of course, you can offset this by adding a lot, a lot of uh, accelerators so that it becomes buildable. It cures faster and therefore becomes buildable. That means that the next layer can be put on all the time. But the problem with that is that then you have this highly expedited curing happening, and this will also happen when you mix a material and in the hoses, so you quite often end up in that it's going so fast that you end up having blockages of your hoses, blockages of your mixer and, and so on. Hence a solution by which you are making it 3D printable as late in the process as possible is, a, is an advantage. Um, so, so, but again, right now it is so that without the expertise of somebody, could be us, could be, uh, somebody that is very much into construction and therefore have own concrete specialist, it's a challenge to make these. So you couldn't do it from, you know, you yourself personally couldn't make a 3D printable concrete from, from one day to the next. But you can see we've just revealed that, uh, that our printers were behind uh, India's first uh, two-story building made of real concrete developed by uh, the construction giant in India, which is called LNT Construction. They developed that internally. We had no finger in the game. They did that completely internally based on local available materials. And then they 3D printed in real concrete the first two-story building in, in India. Wow. So, uh, so you didn't pick up on that one. What's that? You didn't pick up on that, uh, on that uh, press release. I did. I got the email. 
Oh, okay, good. Oh, you got it from us, yeah. Cool. Yeah, thank you. So the project in Europe, the two-story house, I saw there's a lot of planning. There's like a 3D printed shower. There's, it looks like spaces for some of the plumbing and electrical. Yeah, there are two that we, so our printers are behind two two-story uh, buildings in, uh, in Europe uh, right now and one three-story building. Uh, so the first uh, two-story building was made by our first customer, Kamsi. Mm -hmm. um, and um, that, the funny thing about that project is, in fact, it was printed by students. So, you know, you think that this technology is so advanced and, wow, this is almost science fiction. So, no, it's not. I mean, it's not more complex than we train some students and then these students train some other students and then the students together were printing that building because Kamsi, as, as an organization, doesn't have construction people. They, their role is to promote new technologies and do demonstration, so have demonstrations at their facility. So they teamed up with the local university. We trained the students, the students uh, trained the other students, and then the students were coming in one day per week and printing. So, um, but that was, a, that, that was the first. This video, they also made it quite nice, a video. This video uh, has so far, so far been seen, I think, almost 500,000 times, at least more than 400,000 times. Wow. Now, Perry, this year, of course, our, our, our shareholder, uh, minority shareholder, and also the biggest, uh, let's say, supplier of the manual uh, competition, which is the formwork needed for casting of concrete, uh, they embarked on their two-story building and their three-story building. And you're right, the Perry has done, done a lot of preparatory work where already in the CAT drawings, they have said, okay, we need an electric socket here. So there's no point in printing in this area because by not printing there, we actually create the voids needed for pulling the wire, et cetera. So they did that for the electricity and they did it for the plumbing. Mm -hmm. uh, obviously, when you go from the CAT file then to, into our slicer, our, our software, we then convert it automatically to a print file that takes that, that takes these things into consideration. Yeah, that project with Perry is great. They put a lot of forethought into how they were going to do it, as opposed to a lot of other companies just printed a box and then thought about the rest later. Yeah, it, it's, it's a much different project because uh, Perry is proving the, the, the commercial viability of this technology. Uh, and therefore they're also going a bit slower. They, they don't have any intention to go very, very fast. A lot of the other demonstration projects have been aimed at you know, showing the speed and maybe less of the detail. Here, it's very much the opposite. They go a lot into the details. They don't care so much about the speed because now it's a question of getting the construction details correct, right? To prove the market viability of this, uh, this solution. Um, yeah. yeah, they're doing a fantastic job, but they're not the only one. I mean, we, you, you just visited the printer farms in, in, in Florida and they're doing a fantastic job also. Uh, 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 and, you know, in addition, they, they have done a one and, an, and one and only thing, which is that uh, we got the order from them in the beginning of the year, uh, last year. And uh, so we had to supply the printer during the COVID period where there was a lockdown on Europeans coming uh, to the US. So it ended up that we actually put the uh, printer down into a container in parts. Uh, we, we did them some instruction videos, tutorials, uh, sent them over digitally, sent the printer over by, by, by sea, and they installed it themselves. Yeah, now so, Frederick's a pro. Yeah, no, that's an excellent jo job. I mean, they, they, when they told us that they were going to do it, I said, ah, nah, 
not really sure you guys are clever enough to be able to do it. But they did. Uh, and, and, you know, now they are finishing the printing of the first building and, and so on. So they've done a great job. Sure. Yeah, especially seeing Frederick comes from a business background and kind of learned all the engineering side on. Yeah, he's a, li a little bit like me. He's a, he's a business amateur that goes into engineering, right? So to say, uh, that tries to be clever also on, on the technical side. Yeah. So your printer is one of the few I've seen with a mechanical mixer in the head of the extruder. Yeah. I've seen a lot of printers with like some kind of static mixer, um, but yours actually almost it needs the concrete like dough right at the end well there are there are several reasons for it uh, uh, one is mixing another one is is to have a stable flow and, and so on also don't forget we go much faster than any anybody else right uh, our printers can go up to 3.3 uh, feet per second or one meter per second. Mm -hmm. We haven't reached it yet because we have uh, issues with uh, getting the materials to behave as good as the printer does. But, uh, but we have been up to almost two feet per second. Uh, so we need to make sure that we can get a lot, a lot of material out very fast, very consistent. And, and so that's the other reason for it. The pumps, when I was in Florida, they mentioned you have stronger pumps available in Europe than in America? This has to do with that, uh, that what you're seeing in, in Florida is again a, a ready-mix, dry-mix mortar. So uh, not cheap uh, solution for the material, a very convenient solution for the material. And if you're doing one-offs, we always saying if you do a one-off, it's an, a no-brainer. You can go with a ready-mix, dry-mix mortar. But a lot of our customers are interested in doing 100 buildings, 200 buildings, 300 buildings. And there, the cost of the material, the cost of the concrete becomes very interesting. So, so that's why we are using here uh, much stronger pumps because the, these have to be capable of pumping concrete. And concrete has a bigger particle size, much stronger material, whereas a mortar is, is a weaker, uh, uh, finer, finer, finer material, easier to pump. So that's part of the reason. Yeah, this is a very exciting stage for the whole industry because it's in such a transformative spot right now where it's it been will be. it will be experimental the from the companies and now the companies kind of figured it out and they're not so experimental anymore and it's now the the burden has been put on the customers to develop the technology and commercialize it and commercialize the houses and bring market ready products i mean that hasn't started happening yet really on a large scale well allow me to break you as follows they're not developing the technology further. They're developing the application of the technology. Mm -hmm. That's where we see companies now start to mastering that aspect of it, which we don't do uh, because we are not a construction company. We are tech developer, right? And, and supplier. So you see companies like Printed Farms, like Perry, that are trying to excel uh, to, to be the best in terms of uh, application of the technology figuring out the cleverest, most clever way to use this technology, like, you know, planning in the, the voids for the electricity and the plumbing, et cetera, et cetera. So that's the company side on it, uh, of it, whereas the hardware development side is still very much on us and, and our customers are not developing. They might come up with good ideas and quite often that happens, that they come up with needs or good ideas. Well, couldn't you find this uh, a solution to this issue and so on, and this will inspire us in our product development? But, but it's more like the application development happens on a customer level, 
and us is on the on the hardware level on the on the tech level so to say how then, soon do you think we'll start seeing big projects like instead of a customer printing one house experimenting trying to figure out how it works um, very soon. i think very during, soon. during hopefully during second half of this year i mean we always have this issue that we have a four month delivery time for the printer and so on we have the permitting process that, that has to go on in each market and so on but I would hope at the end of this year that we see the start of these first uh, projects. Could be that it first happened in the first uh, half year of 22, but I, I, I am hopeful that the, potentially there's a, there's a possibility that it could happen in the second half year of, of, of uh, 21. And what we see right now is that this thing used to be sort of a speculative thing uh, and it used to be wow this is this is uh, exciting but still the technology is immature and although the technology is still not completely matured and will not be for the next five years or so what we are seeing is more and more uh, a lot more conventional construction companies are now coming to us with an idea of how they should use our technology to benefit them uh, so in that sense the customers are maturing quite fast right now um, and again, we see an, an in, a global interest from uh, larger and larger construction companies. You can see LNT in India is, is a clear example of that also, but also Lafarge's uh, involvement, Perry's involvement, et cetera, et cetera. So, so it is becoming, slowly becoming more mainstream and not so much an exotic thing, I would say. Um, uh, so that's good, but we also need the educational side to follow along, which is why we're pushing also very hard on the universities to start doing, uh, you know, education in this, because mm -hmm. in essence, if there's somebody that should be able to master this new technology, it is really the students that be, should be brought up to, up to speed with this. Uh, and luckily it is happening in, in, in a few universities already, but, but we clearly wish that it should happen in, in more universities. We've also sold quite a few printers to universities so far. Mm -hmm. There's some of the people with the budget to to do experiments. Well, of course, the hardware investment is is for for anybody having to invest three hundred thousand euros or four hundred thousand euros in a printer, depending on the size, or five hundred thousand if you want a very big, or two hundred thousand if you want a very small. Um, that's a significant amount of money, and it's not yeah. all universities that can afford it. But we are seeing also a huge increase uh, in the amount of universities that are that are interested in in, uh, in acquiring this technology. And what we see is that they might have tried to fool around with small printers before, you know, with a printable area of maybe three feet by three feet. But you can't uh, simulate a, a real building, a real construction site on such a small scale because you know it takes you ten seconds. You're back again. Uh, uh, and need to be ready for the next layer. So you have to then use a hell of a lot of accelerators to get the materials ready. And this is not what we would do in, 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 in a real building, because when you do a real building, the, the layer time is not in seconds, but, but, but in minutes. I mean, if you do a building like this, this is a, the, the butt building, mm -hmm. you can see yourself that it's quite, there's quite a length if you go all the way here and so on. So in this case, uh, approximately 60 meters. And it will take, minutes to go 60 meters right so uh, so so then the material has more time to, to cure and to harden so that you can put the next layer on so in other words to put it shortly the smaller printers of one by one meter uh, uh, made by other manufacturers etc they really can't they're not up for it for the real research 
uh, you, you can't really apply them. They're too small and they print too small. They, they mm -hmm. also are too small in the, all the, you know, it's not concrete you're printing with, et cetera, et cetera. So it, it's, it's okay initially to invest in that, to, to see if it's an interesting technology. But if you really want to do this uh, as a university, you need to go much bigger. Yeah, that makes sense. So from a, let's talk about network utility. Now network. that... Okay. Now that your company's grown, you've sold a bunch of printers, so many people are operating them in so many different countries. Uh, how has the network utility grown of Koba? Yeah, well, uh, this is actually inspired by, by one of our customers that we are planning on making a Koba customer club uh, with an, an, an sort of an internet solution where uh, each of the customers can present a different uh, solution to various problems that they have had and thereby share with the others to the benefit of the others, right? So it becomes like a user forum, but only, of course, for Cobot customers. It's not something that we are going to share with the, the rest of the bunch. Uh, and we're already seeing that now. As soon as one of our other customers are publishing something, and we always follow the lead from the customer, we never publish anything before the customer does. Um, as soon as, as we publish something about what another customer has done, they start hitting us with questions, our customers, how did they do that? And you know, what's the material that they use there? And that looks like an interesting solution. And how did they do that? And yes, we are trying to facilitate that. And this, this, uh, in that sense, we will get also quite competent in the different solutions because we will accumulate all these many printers that we will have out there, and the projects from each customers. We will, we will, you know, be able to to accumulate all of that and share it with with our customers. And in that sense. We have a huge advantage compared to the, I wouldn't even call them competitors because we, we don't really have any competitors at the present stage, really serious competitors. But there are competitors that, that are trying to do the projects themselves. And if you want to do your, all the projects yourself, there's a limited number of, of how many you can do. Whereas us, we don't do projects as such, only on, on real or special locations. Um, it's our customers that are doing it. And obviously we are just uh, adding more and more customers all the time. So, you know, if, if you are one of our competitors having to do the same as our customers, you would have to do 25 or 50 buildings in a year. You, you, you can't do that in, in 10 different projects. You can't do that. It, 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 you know, you would have to have at least uh, 200 people or 500 people, and that will take some time before anybody can, can afford that. So to put it shortly again, what will happen here is we will be the company Fast, we are already the company, fastest accumulating all the application knowledge, all the different um, solutions to various construction details and engineering problems. It makes sense that the company selling the most printers and doing the most projects would have the most data and information about real world applications. Of course. So the, a lot of people ask when they see videos, online stuff they'll comment uh how can they invest in the technology and they want to see a stock that they can buy for five dollars or twenty dollars um yeah and you can just look at some of the valuations of other 3d printing companies and you get amazed about the pricing and valuation of these companies uh you know there's a metal printing company called desktop metal uh they have sales of let's say 20 25 million dollars they have a valuation in the billions of dollars. It's like, okay, you know, did, did everybody lose their sane mind here? Um, I think only in America. That, that wouldn't have happened at, at a European stock exchange. I'm sorry to say that. We don't get excited that easy. 
Uh, yeah, no, we've had that request from uh, from many companies also. In essence, our situation is since we are, you know, uh, really nicely selling printers, growing uh, 80 to 100 percent per year, we no. don't need any investors. Uh, we are happy uh, as is. Uh, if we are to take in investors, it's because they strategically, industrially, can give us something. So we are not interested in, as such, in just financial investors that are just coming with money. But yes, there are investors that could interest us from a strategic slash industrial point of view, because it could make the whole promotion of the technology easier if we got the resources also from, you know, so it had to be one of the bigger players uh, involved in, in, in spreading the message about this technology. Mm-hmm. That's why we also took in Perry. You know, uh, in all honesty, that was a quite smart move because, you know, Perry is powerful. They have, uh, you know, 80 subsidiaries around the world, uh, tens of thousands of employees, and they come with their credibility and they're throwing in their resources actually in benefit of our technology. So you, you might look at how many people are employed in Cobot, but in essence, you have to add the many people that are employed by Perry doing the same thing, by Printed Farms doing the same thing, by 14.3 slash Lafarge doing the same thing. And then you'll see that by now there is uh, probably around 100 people involved in our technology. So anybody wanting to compete with us and doing everything by themselves, they would have to start just to get the first 100 people in order just to match where we are. Yeah, the Cobod-Perry partnership is a great deal for both sides, especially because removing formwork is one of the primary benefits of 3D printed concrete. So it only makes sense that they should uh, hedge their bet. Yeah, that's also why they actually got a, a, a very good deal when they came in. We deliberately did not want to go crazy and, and, you know, demand them crazy prices. So we calculated what, what we thought our capital need would be and said, this is uh, the price you're going to pay. You're going to basically finance the unprofitable start of the company. Uh, and they did. Uh, and uh, we've been profitable for the last two years. So, you know, uh, we ran out of that need for more capital uh, as planned, uh, or actually better than planned did a little bit faster and better than what we had planned. So uh, so they got into a, a, a very low entry uh, ticket, you can say. Uh, uh, and that's fine because they are really, really benefiting us industrially and strategically. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's great for the whole industry when uh, things like that happen. It just lubricates the whole process. It makes everything go smoother. They bring a lot of the construction expertise to the table yep. and can point out things it's, that... It's much more credible, Garrett, than if it's... Uh, uh, taking blue tech uh, 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 joint venture partners who has invested in you, right? Because these are just the financial guys uh, after a, a return on their shares. They don't add anything else in that. Uh, whereas Perry is, is coming with all their engineering knowledge, all their credibility and, and so on. And they are really benefiting us in a lot, a lot of ways. I'm sure there's some kind of considerations of a next generation of printer one day. Oh, yeah. That day is not that far away. Uh, no, we have been working hard on that. Actually, from you know, we launched the Bot 2, which is the best-selling printer ever mm-hmm. uh, in construction printing, and and obviously by far the best-selling in the market. And already from the day we launched that, which was in January 19, we decided now we start developing the next generation. So we have been on that for for a couple of years now, and uh, during this year you will you will see new uh, printers coming out from us. What we do make sure is that we would hate to sink our customers. You know, we are 
highly appreciative of uh, initial customers that have supported us by buying the printers, etc. What we might want to make sure is the opposite of what Apple has always done, is that if you bought an Apple 6, when they come with a, you know, some new functionality and they called it Apple 7, you would have to take your old phone and just drop it because you couldn't use it for anything, right? So we have wanted to make sure that nobody bought a non-future-proof technology. So we are making sure that, that all the improvements we are making of various kinds can be applied to the existing printers also. So you do not have to fundamentally get a new printer. You can get some of the new functionality, some of the new features by uh, buying parts that are sort of upgrading your existing system. Thereby, we are protecting the investments that our customers are making. Yeah, that's fantastic. A company called uh, Prussia, I don't know if you've heard of them, they make a desktop 3D printer and they're known for one of the best consumer facing desktop 3D printers. I first got interested in 3D printing. First, yeah, yeah, sorry, I pronounced it wrong. Yeah, yeah, of course I know Prusa. Yeah, yeah, of course, yeah. They have the same model. And when I got the fruit, I was really impressed by that because it's a commitment to the customer. That it, it doesn't let the customer feel cheated. No, no, and this is one thing that, that we are extremely focused on is that we are highly appreciative of the initial customers that we've had that have taken, you know, they've taken a perceived high risk. You know, when Kamsi bought the first one, we didn't even have other than a cat drawing said, this is what the new printer we're going to make. They bought it without having seen it physically, that seen parts of it, but not the whole thing. And, you know, so we made sure that they got it. We made sure that it works and they were, they were happy with it, et cetera. And that's how we treat all our customers. We are highly appreciative that they, in this market where there's still a high risk perceived involved with this technology, that, uh, you know, we hold the hands of our customers and that they will, uh, be served in such a way that they're very satisfied with the with the purchase. Also for the long term, for, for us, our customers are long-term partnerships, more than their customers, I, I would say. So we try to constantly listen to their issues and what would they like to do and then see if we can invent things that can, can make it better for them. So since you're the, a business background guy, let's talk about the the finances of the projects with the printer so how does the cost comparison line up to regular construction in the town you're in now let's say that's fine now you have a, a, a couple of difficulties here and uh, now becomes a little bit economical technical uh, but i hope you can follow if you look at the relationship between the labor cost and the material cost of construction around the world you will see that this ratio between, you know, you have these two costs. You have the labor cost of building, and then you have the material involved, what's mm -hmm. the cost of that. And then added together, they make 100, 100%. That split between how much is labor cost, how much is material cost varies. So if you look at my country, it's almost 50-50. If you go to um, India, it's like 20 for the labor, 80 for the material. And if you go to very uh, high price markets uh, and not so efficient markets, maybe uh, US and Japan, you'll see that the 50 may be 60 and so on, right? So when you have a saving on one of them, but not on the other, you can imagine yourself that that significance of that saving will vary between the different markets. Mm -hmm. So that's one complexity in, in let's say, pinpointing one uh, answer to, to, to your question. That is, it all depends on where you are in the world and yeah. what your 
relative cost are between labor and material. Okay, so that's number one. Number two, quite easy. There is not enough accumulated experience to make a uh, what I would consider to be a credible economic prediction of the precise saving. Let me make an analogy. This is similar to when you uh, learn to how to ride a bike. The first time you rode a bike, you fell down a lot. Uh, you were actually more sitting, hurting your knee than you were riding the bike. If we take this analogy over to our printing of the first building, that's exactly what happened. You know, we were maybe printing 10% of the time, 90% of the time we was we were standing still hurting, right? Um, the second time you were, you were buying it, you did it much better. You might not have fallen maybe 10% of the times that you failed the first time. Hence your productivity, your speed increased. Same thing, when we did the bot building again, just two years after, we improved 20 times as you heard. We came to 28 hours. Now, you really can come with these numbers when you've done something for the 10th time or maybe the 15th time, mm. right? And nobody has done that. Nobody has done a similar thing. It doesn't help us that we do, or our customers does, one-off projects with, let's say, special solution in different countries. You can't use that accumulation for anything mm. because they are, they have applied special solutions living up to the building code in that country that they are not applying in this other project. So you can't really compare the two. And this company over here is not getting the experience, you know, really operational experience from this company. So we, in essence, that's why we are, are waiting for and promoting these 30, 40, 50 buildings projects, because I think that is the first time when let's say you've done the first five houses now you have to do the next 10. Those 10 houses, you can get reliable data from. You cannot get reliable data for one-off projects done for the first time. It's, it's, it's meaningless because it will be worse than the conventional. And this is also what we tell all our customers, really honestly say, if you think you're going to make money on the first project, or, or during the first year and you can recoup your investment in the printer, you can forget it. You've come to the wrong guy. We will never promise you that. You, you have to think about this is the future and I need to get my feet wet with the future. And I need to master the future because thereby I'm gaining competitive advantage for the future. So it will take you some years to, to regain your, your, your investment in the printer. For sure, you can't do it with just within one year. And you will for sure see that first time you apply it, it will probably be more expensive. Second time, maybe also. Third time, you might break even. Fifth time, you might find 10% saving. Tenth time, you might find 25% saving. That's, that's how it is. Yeah, some of my engineering classes are making me think that uh, even 10 isn't really enough to really get, like, to have a scientific forum and a sign, you have to have 100, n equals 100. If you want to go with the 95 significance uh, level uh, credibility uh, at the 95% significant level, now then, then you're right. Then, then even 10 is not enough. Uh, you, you need to go into the hundreds. Uh, but we'll get there. Yeah, we'll get there. And also, as, as I explained before, you know, if you took, took the tower, the windmill tower as an example, three weeks the first time, three days the second time, I then predicted if I had to do it again, one and a half day. I then predicted if I had to do a fourth time, one day. You see that it's a curve going like that. And I think it's called exponentially decreasing or whatever, or logarithmical decreasing, I can't remember anymore. 
but you know you get a lot of return initially on you know from number one to number two and from number two to number three but when you come up here at this end of the curve where it's from number seven to number eight or number 19 to number 20 you really get a diminishing mar marginal return so that's when when you start seeing that line there more or less becoming flat that's when you in essence statistically significantly can predict what are the real costs so to take it back to that earlier question let's talk about in your region right now well we don't have a region we're global huh we have printers everywhere we have printers in africa we have printers in the middle east we have printers in europe we have printers in asia and we have printers I mean, in the US. where you're sitting well, i'm sitting i'm sitting in bloody cold copenhagen denmark so in copenhagen how would the cost compare uh, Denmark is a, is a high, uh, that's, that's why it's not uh, a coincidence that this technology is developed here. Because if you look at our entire society here, it's based on lowering the amount of people. We are basically dead scared of labor here. So we automatize, automate, and uh, we either automate or do it yourself. You know, do it yourself solutions or automatic solutions. So, like, you know, when you're on a highway in the US, you go to the toll booth and there's a person. Bloody hell, there's a person there. You know, to a daily's person, that's completely unthinkable that there's a person with this job. First of all, it's a nonsense job. Secondly, well, you can just either have a scanner uh, reading the number plate and then charge you, which we have here, or you, you pay with a credit card and get on with it. So, you know, everything here is geared towards a saving of, 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 of labor because labor is really bloody expensive here. So here we would have very significant cost advantages using this technology. Significant cost advantages as it is today huge because of the labor the the, oh. the, 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 the the and then the second thing of course about the labor is that it's very difficult for construction companies now to recruit new entrants uh, in their workforce because simply the young generation they don't want to have hard physical work so if you look at how we are recruiting people to the construction sector here basically we're going further further away in foreign countries so we started with polish people then Poland economically developed that much that uh, a lot of the Polish people, they didn't bother, you know, because they also have to stay in another country and so on. So we went to the Baltic countries, but now the economic has also developed that much. So now we go to Ukraine to source people because you can't really get new young Danish guys to do, let's say, skill construction work, which is still physical, but they are at the skill level. So they're not on the unskilled level where they, you know, they can just be a handyman. They are skilled, so they could be masonries or they could be carpenters or something. But even those jobs, we can't, it's very difficult to find Danish people that want to do that anymore. And, and you know what? Same thing in the US. You know what? Same thing in Germany. Same thing in Japan. Same thing in Korea. Same thing in Australia. So the other problem we are taking care of with our technology is in fact that we are putting the skill set into the printer, thereby uh, uh, and also we are making the entire physical work redundant because it's being done by the printer. So by doing these two things, you then come from being highly unattractive as a, as a business to be hired by to becoming super attractive because all young people want to have laptops and play around with robotics and, and so on. So, you know, I can just uh, point at my own company. We have absolutely no problem in hiring uh, people and we get the best qualified and so on. They all want to work here. Uh, uh, you know, from all over the world, uh, because you know this is highly fascinating to work with uh, robotics and automation. Back to the next generation printer thing, 
I heard a rumor that it was going to be a, a robotic arm, but no, 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 no. The robotic arm uh, thing for for entire buildings is a dead dog. It's it's a wrong concept. You can only print small elements. You have to cast the elements together, and you break the building code in most countries. You at least you break it here in Europe if you do that because you have concrete on concrete, inside and outside wall. So you would have to put insulation either on the inside or on the outside of that wall. And that means that the wall will become this big. So please notice that there's not a lot of buildings here that have been done with robotic arms simply because it's an inefficient way of, of doing it. And if you look at some of the projects that we're doing, can you imagine the Wallenhaus project, 380 square meters in Germany being done with a robotic arm printer? Nah, <laughs> it, it, it's zero. It's a nightmare to, to try to do that. No, so, so it's going towards bigger and bigger printers, bigger and bigger buildings. Now, this thing about the, the robotic arm, well, it could be that we will use the robotic arm for something else, but not for the printer, that's for sure. Why can't the system, why can't the gantry system of the printer become structural supports for the building? And It could, but it's too expensive. There, there's no economic point in doing that. You can buy a structural let's say reinforcement of the building e e cheaper than buying the printer. But when you scale it up, the cost to build the structure and make it sturdy becomes no. higher. No. No. no, no, the economics doesn't work, Jared. Believe me, I've been there. I've been looking at it. The only application where we've actually seriously investigated because the initial economic analysis uh, revealed that there could be something in this idea was for the windmill towers. Uh, because the windmill towers end up having a, you know, a void inside and then there's a lift there. Mm -hmm. So now if the printer could start as a printer and then be turned into a lift afterwards, that would make sense. But again, these lifts are actually, when you calculate it, they are not that expensive. So no, that would make sense. Hmm. That's a dead dog. Eric, go somewhere else, it's a dead, dead dog. <laughs> Do you think we'll ever be able to 3D print skyscrapers? Uh, uh, no, I don't think we will, uh, but I think we will be able to print so tall, you can dictate the amount of uh, floors or, 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 or stories yourself, whether it's uh, 5, 6, 7, 8, 9 or 10, but to cover 98% of the market. I think we'll be able to develop a technology, because if you look at skyscrapers, yes, you know, how many buildings do you have in the US? Pick a number, you probably have... Uh, I don't know, at least 100 million, I would think. Uh, and of how many skyscrapers do you have? Not even a million, right? Skyscrapers, it's building. So the skyscraper market, yeah, it's fascinating, very fascinating. But if you look at the vast majority of buildings, I mean, here in our, in our country, I can, in our capital, I can point at maybe 10 buildings that I believe in the future that I couldn't do, but all the rest I could do. Okay. I believe. I wish I was more familiar with the uh, the Copenhagen skyline so that I could understand. Oh, the Copenhagen skyline is typical for any any uh, old uh, uh, European city. I mean, the city is a thousand years sure. old, the oldest kingdom in the world, right? Uh, older than England, in fact. Uh, we have our kings and queens going back a thousand years in the same family and so on. But so therefore, the the the, the city center is uh, uh, you know lots and lots of old houses, and then you have a few skyscrapers here and there. And in essence, it's the same thing. If you go to Berlin or you go to, to Paris or something, yeah, you, you have uh, what's it called out there, uh, the district. Uh, they have a sort of a, a skyscraper district. I um, can't remember what it's called now. Embarrassing. Okay. But they have that. But the very center, the original center, and let's say 98% of the area of Paris 
is covered with buildings that are maximum like six floors or seven floors. Mm -hmm. And those, we, I believe we can do, yes, for sure. Yeah, a lot of places like India only want to see kind of bigger buildings and their, their goals are to do like G plus five, G plus seven. Yeah, but I still think that's within what is reasonable to expect that we can do, yeah. Mm -hmm. So, but but you're right, uh, especially in, in a lot of these uh, developing countries where you have a really amount, a lot, a lot of people uh, close to the city center and the cost of land is very high. The only economic sensible thing is, of course, to use a smaller piece of land relatively to the square feet or square meters of a living area that you're putting in. And the way to do that is, of course, to build taller and taller. Mm -hmm. So, yes, but but even there, even in those countries, you will find that Less than 2% of the buildings are more than, say, eight stories. How much attention do you have to put towards software? A lot. We have dedicated engineers just doing software development uh, and constantly, constantly, uh, uh, constantly we are um, developing new solutions to the software. Uh, and we, we also, because we're adding so much new functionality and features to the printers, as, as you heard me speak about before, next generation things, uh, we, we need to have dedicated guys on, on, on the software development. Because one thing is we can do the, let's say the hardware part of it, but that doesn't help if the software, can't, we can't control it. So we need the software to follow along with the, all this hardware development that we're doing. So the software is mostly controlling the printer from the computer, or do you have other softwares for generating the G-code? Uh, the link, it, you can say it's a linkage from the AutoCAD file to the print file. Mm -hmm. And that link is now autom uh, automated, it's automatic. So you don't, you don't, you don't have to do the programming of the, of the uh, computer, uh, of the software. The programming happens by itself. Uh, Jared, I have a problem because uh, that's what the, the guy was making me aware of. I have a call here at four o'clock. Uh, I thought an hour would be enough. Uh, we can uh, we can continue another day if you like. Uh, you know, I can speak for hours about this technology, as you can hear. I know. We let's call it a day for today, and maybe we'll pick it up another time and uh, yep. try to block off a little more time next time. You want two hours? I would love two hours next time. But I appreciate it. It was it's been a great conversation. It went by okay. like this. Yeah, it did.